This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 450 for Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. Joining me this week, Stephen is back. You can find him at Stephen ESC on all the social media that matters. That's Stephen with a PH, by the way. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I want to kick this episode off with jaw-dropping... I feel like the size of a flea, just very cool space stuff. Everyone I think is familiar with the JWST. If you are into space or into sci-fi and science fact, not science fiction, but just space stuff these days. And there was a new image from the JWST and that was released on September 6th. It is of the Tarantula Nebula. I don't know why it's called a Tarantula Nebula. Yeah, I was trying to find that out too. Yeah, it's the birthplace of stars. So good things happen in the Tarantula Nebula, but it sounds like a sinister (laughs) lair for someone in a sci-fi film. Uh, And it is a stunning image. Uh, It is 340 light years across. If you do happen to look at this and you're trying to figure out like, wow, that's big. And you're like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is how really, really big it is. And it is a star forming region in space with tens of thousands of never before seen young stars. So not, not thousands, tens of thousands. Uh, these were all previously shrouded in cosmic dust because you can't see in the same light wavelengths with Hubble that you can with the JWST. Most active regions of young stars in the image, if you do happen to go see it, we'll have a link in the show notes, are the sparkly blue, pale blue dots. And then the red stars are the ones that are still inside of, I can't remember the name of the dust, but it's it's inside the red cosmic dust. And that's because they're still forming. The gravity from the stars is, is pulling in this matter around them and they're forming and then once they're formed and they leave the dust and they kind of like because of gravity and other things uh they they move into other positions but uh anyway it's ridiculously cool uh that we have that that image and i would really encourage people to go to the webtelescope.org website that i'll have linked there on the left hand side you'll have download options and you can get a full res for display which is 14,557 pixels by 8,418 pixels. It's 140 megabytes. I would absolutely encourage you to download this, especially if you are like me and you have a 5K monitor, because when you put that (laughs) full screen, boy, is it cool. Like it looks like the things that you see in Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor in like special effects in, in films like that. It is absolutely stunning. And uh, I, I really look forward to more, more stuff like this. I only understand the surface of it. And I'm just as curious as when they're going to be able to focus in on something more specific, you know, like mm. a, a far off planet or, you know, uh, a, getting a real glimpse of a, 
of a star. You know, you're thinking about like, if this is the kind of image that the JWST can send us um, of a broad area in space, I say broad just because this is small, a small patch, but very, very far away. I'd be very curious to see what happens when they are done processing the images of things that they've taken much closer, you know, within yeah. our own Milky Way galaxy. And I, it's just going to be ridiculously cool. I, uh, I find it inspiring and I'm not sure what the word is for <laughs> it, but overwhelming, I guess it's hard to compute, I guess is the way. Yeah. That, yeah. It is. It's hard to kind of like understand really the scale, uh, of it all. But, um, cause when you're measuring something in light years, you're just like, I, I don't even know, like it's, is it a measure of distance or time or both? Or like, just, it just, you know, in Canada, you can say, oh, that's five kilometers away. And people go, I, I kind of have an idea <laughs> how, how right. far that is. But when you get into stuff like this, like, it's just, it's unless you're probably working in those astrophysics spheres all the time, then you probably wouldn't have something to compare it to, you know? It's mind-boggling. I mean, you said you feel like a flea a little bit, but then I'm just like, even trying to process that, it's like, you're like the tiniest, you're like, if a flea had a toenail, it'd be like a toenail on a flea. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, man, it's a stunning image. Next up, you might be wondering if we are going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Well, you're right, but it's not going to happen quite as much this week because my friend Johnny, my co-host on the Spawn Chunks podcast, is a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And he has uh, requested <laughs> an audience on <laughs> this little cafe. Uh, he wanted to come on and talk about Rings of Power. So we're going to do that next week. So there'll be not one, not two, but three episodes to talk about uh, with Johnny next week on the show. And I think that's probably a good idea too, because like both episode one and two premiered the same day, this past Friday mm -hmm. uh, on September 2nd. And uh, while I have been impressed, uh, we'll talk a little bit here. Absolutely no spoilers, but I'm very impressed. The, the worry that I had about the stream quality on Prime Video has been quelled, at least for the first two episodes. There was absolutely nothing wrong with that stream. Like it was beautiful, mm. really like Dolby digital, like very, very crisp. It, it did the show justice nice. because boy, howdy, is it a pretty show? Like <laughs> you can true. see, like, I mean, they've put the money into immersing you in middle earth and it's working. I, I really, really enjoyed the first two episodes, especially the cold open for the first episode. I thought that was great. Very reminiscent of the first Lord of the Rings movie from P the Peter Jackson trilogy. And uh, yeah, so, so far I I'm liking it. I'm hoping that these standards will continue on to the third episode. Uh, and it's not just like a, 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 all the money was put in the first two to get people interested and then it's not quite the same. But there's only eight episodes in the first season. So Johnny and I will be talking about nearly the first half. So that's, that's, I think that's a sizable chunk because they do cram a lot into the first two episodes. So we'll have a lot to unpack. You'll have to have them back again after the, uh, after the finale and do a full recap on the season. Yeah. I'm also really happy with like the cast, the, uh, I want, I don't say lesser known actors cause I do recognize a few people, but they're not, there's no celebrity power. You're not paying $25 million to one particular star actor that's there for the whole series. Uh, and I think that has enabled them to like maybe spread that budget around more to telling the story, which I wish more showrunners would do 
Morpheth Clark, I think is how you say her name, stars as Galadriel, and she is excellent so far. Uh, she's pretty angry <laughs> uh, for good reason, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so far, so good. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing more of it. Uh, and the other standout thing is Bear McCreary is doing the score for the series. And while it's its own thing, and there are no even borrowed themes from Howard Shore's original score from the Lord of the Rings films. It just kind of kisses at it. Like it just hints at it in terms of like the, there's just enough going on that you, it reminds you of the, of the Howard Shore score, but, but it's not, no, there's no familiar themes. You're not going to hear like, you know, Hobbiton and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's a different time. Like the, the, the right. rings of power is set, uh, I think several hundred years before the events of the Lord of the Rings. So, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I know you're watching. Yes. So without getting into like super detail, like how are you enjoying it? Is, are you and the family watching it all together? We are. Yeah. And I think I mean, overall the family is, we are enjoying it. It's nice to kind of revisit middle earth and i say revisit but we we had just spent the last week or so catching up on the hobbit movie so we were we were sort of like mentally ready for the show to start and uh, you're right though it's in terms of uh, visually it's a beautiful beautiful show and the music really pulls you in but i i'm finding i'm not liking the writing so much yet and i'm hoping it gets better like there, there are a couple of moments that felt very gaslighty against galadriel when she was trying to chase down but either way without getting into the spoilers because i know we don't want to do that but but basically she's telling them she can sense the evil is there and it was like the two main guy characters are like are you sure <laughs> no I, I i feel it do you really that's like that's just the feeling i got where they just felt really condescending towards galadriel when she was just and, and basically talked her into going down this avenue that she didn't really seem to want to and then there was, um, and then the thing that surprised me was El Elrond, and I remember him um, from the original series, and he just he doesn't feel like the same character. I mean, maybe he's got to go through growth to get to where he was in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but he had one line in there that really made me cringe, like the whole "my friend" line. I won't put any more say any more than that, but it just it felt like a really really weak thing to say after gaslighting her and i just i guess my brain sort of i don't want to say checked out but i just i was just i felt a little disappointed by that and it left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth for the rest of it but i'm and it but after that i feel like episode two there was less of that and it was a little bit better but i don't know so far male characters seem pretty condescending towards galadriel and as we know from the lord of the rings galadriel kind of kicks ass so well, and then, I mean, from what I can understand, there's not a lot written about Galadriel during this time in mm -hmm. the Rings of Power. So they're kind of taking some creative liberties, which is fine because if she's not doing anything other than going from Elf City to Elf City in the books, and like you've got lots of room to make her, you know, more robust. They do, There was mention of fighting, apparently. So at least you know that she was at least active. Um, yeah. I oh, get, yeah. I didn't get the whole gaslighting thing. That's not at all what I was getting out of it. I thought it was more political. Um, they, there's a line from the Elven King. I'm struggling to remember his name right now. Um, but in the second episode, I think he was talking about, um, the fact that her constant mission 
to fight the evil may also prolong the war and the evil because it's just keeping it in the vernacular of the elven kingdom and he wants it done so that people can like they can move on and I don't know all of this from my own experiences. I've been listening to Don Marshall on TikTok and on mm. a podcast called Dissecting TV, Decoding TV. And I'll try to have a link for that in the show notes as well. It's a great podcast. Uh, it's a, There's a two-hour episode about the Rings of Power, episode one and two. Uh, and they approach it from the people that have seen the films but not necessarily read the books which is good because that's like, that's a lot of people, right? Yeah. And uh, Don Marshall is a Lord of the Rings kind of like online guru, I guess you could call him. And he explains things really well in the podcast. I won't be able to articulate it here because I only listened to it the once, but listening to that podcast made me feel a lot better about the choices that they're making for with the writing and stuff um, for Galadriel in Rings of Power. So um, I'll encourage people to go check it out. At the very least, check out uh, Don Marshall on on TikTok um, because those are obviously much more digestible clips. Uh, he did this great. <laughs> there's a great TikTok where he gives like the Cimmerillion in like three minutes. <laughs> he just kind of like lays it all out <laughs> nice. really, really quickly. Uh, but I I sort of knew who Morgoth was, uh, but he explains who Morgoth is. So now I know, and it makes a lot of lot of sense in terms mm. of how they line it up and the things that you bring in from the Lord of the Rings and those expectations and those archetypes are not necessarily correct when you're talking about these earlier ages in Middle Earth, like the first, second, and third age versus the fourth. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's worth a listen but i agree that there are some things in the first episode specifically when they do all the monologuing that are really confusing in terms of like where you are the importance of the bad guys and what's going on so i found that having the companion podcast really helped clarify that so mm. i'd be curious to see if you know after you've listened to it if you have time if you still feel like there's a lot of gaslighting because i i felt like it's more like political moves as opposed to like just because she's a female elf because i don't she's she's the leader of a commando party like they don't yeah. i don't i don't get the fact that they're keeping women elves down in any way in in the culture well, maybe gaslighting is the wrong word for it but it just i just felt like you know she she can feel it she knows that there's still evil out there and they kept saying but you know you're not finding anything, are you? But I know it's out there. And then it was like, I don't know. Like I said, maybe gaslighting is not the right word, but it, it just felt it was almost like they're really making, her, forcing her to question, like, are you really finding anything out there? And you know, if, if and then if I put if I put down my sword or I take take away my sword, what am I? And he just says, my friend. It just it just felt really kind of pat on the heady, like like they were patting her on the head, like you've done your job. Now go you know, live out the rest of your, you know, it, I don't know. And, and I guess on some level, I don't feel like I should need, a, I, I get what you're saying. And it would be great to have a lot of the gaps filled in, but I don't feel like I should need a companion podcast to fill in the holes in a show. Oh, you know what no, I mean? no, I agree. You don't, you shouldn't need it, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it helped, but I, I, I didn't feel about, I didn't feel 
that there was gaslighting ahead of listening to the podcast either. I just okay. thought it was Elrond saying, stop carrying the grief of your brother. Um, this isn't going to bring him back and you can't find any proof. So okay. maybe, maybe it's go. time to move on, you know, but yeah, maybe but, I'll go have another listen. Yeah. The, for me, the podcast was more about, it was more about the grander scheme of like the motivations and, and I guess some of it is, it's like the, the elves in general are not necessarily there to be like Captain America. They're kind yeah. of done and they want to go home. So they're kind of like, not tolling their losses, but they're kind of like, we've done all that we came to do. And it's kind of like if Sauron got away, well, whatever, like we just, we still yeah. won, you know, like that's kind of the attitude. Cause it's like, it's no longer our problem is basically the attitude, but that's just kind of like how the elves are. Cause there's not, they're not, there's not a lot of love between elves and men in, in middle earth. Um, which is again, something people bring in from like the relationship that Aragorn has with the elves versus, um, the, the, the way that things are in this show. But mm. I think that's also something we'll get more with time, uh, in terms of the, the different, things because from what i've learned from the show there are some humans that are friends with the elves but there are also some that are not it depends on which side of the war they were on so right uh but yeah we'll find out more i guess uh, in the coming weeks but uh, you can look forward to next week uh when johnny and i will be talking about it here on uh the citadel cafe and we'll go into more depth and we'll go into spoilers and stuff we'll give everybody a heads up but i just wanted to try and it only came out a few days ago and i kind of want to let people kind of like sit and percolate and yeah. i i what i didn't want to do and we'll we can get into this later with our main discussion is that i didn't want to start judging the show and start deep diving it on the first two episodes because i feel like that happens far too often right now with yeah. series and then people end up poo-pooing it it's like but it it only just started <laughs> you know like there's you know you're listening looking at two episodes of for lord of the rings it's it's eight uh and then another series they're they're longer so um but we can speaking of other things we can move on to what we have been watching uh and you have been catching up to me uh with uh something else that you've been watching on netflix indeed uh catching up on the sandman or not the sandman but just sandman it's um, a little bit slow going because it's one of those shows that my wife and I watch together. So it's finding those little pockets of time where we can both actually sit down and enjoy it. Um, but it's, I think you sort of touched on this. Overall, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like it's really well done, like a high production value and everything. But it doesn't have me chomping at the bit to watch the next episode. Like completely unrelated to like the Citadel Cafe type content we're also watching this is us and it's a show that we both really enjoy and just the what they're writing in it has us really wanted to see the next episode so like so when we sit down it's like sandman or this is us and we usually go for this is us where every once in a while i think well i should really watch this again because i, I do enjoy it and i want to push it forward so I, we, that we can talk about it but i don't know there's, there's just something ab i feel like it's true to the comics and it's well acted but there's just something about it. Maybe it's the fact that it's like the dream character is so not, not that he's deadpan and not that he's overly monotone, but there's that's, I guess that's sort of the way his character is. I like revisited the comic book a little bit just to see. And it's, it's fairly darn true to the comic book. And, and even like the, all of the, um, the events that they're hitting all the way through are pretty, pretty bang on, but there's just something about it. 
Uh, I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, I found him melancholy for like at first for good reason. But then later yeah. on, I mean, and I guess spoilers ahead, folks, in case you are watching it. I mean, yes, like, I, I, fi- I finished it. <laughs> um, but to talk about something specific, like he is captured for 100 years or more and loses his mask and his ruby, I think, is the other magical item that he has. Uh, the mask, the helm, the ruby, and his pouch of sand. Pouch of sand. I, so he loses these three talismans that are part of his power. Uh, it's a very Greek mythology thing. Um but when he gets them all back, it's not like he celebrates. <laughs> like he's mm. not happy about it. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be even, even if it was something as like straightening up and going like, ah, that feels better. Like nothing. Yeah. He doesn't change at all. He's still just as bummed, you know, as, <laughs> as he was at the beginning. And I mean, it, to me, it speaks to like when it was written, um, the nineties goth, the whole like sour mood is cool sort of thing. And, um, I did find that if you look at the series as a whole, Morpheus does have an arc. And so I forgive a lot of the like first six episodes of just like Eeyore with superpowers because it did that. Yeah. It, Cause that's what it is. Like it is, he's, he's so not that anyone would help me get my Ruby back anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like he's just, he's just so blah about everything. And, and on one hand, it was that combined with the pacing of the show that I found really hard to swallow. So it's similar to your experience with like, you sit down and you're like, do I want to watch another one of these? And I would sit down and be like, yeah, I mean, like, but I would do it. And it was homework for the show. And I haven't talked about it. I've watched it weeks ago. I haven't fit it into the show because the guests that I've had on hadn't seen it. I think the last time I had you on, you had only just started it. So I didn't want to talk about it then because, you know, I had seen the whole thing. I didn't want to spoil anything for you. And Mm. I just find that the pace of it is... I guess it communicates the mood of the gods or these, um, what are they called? They're not called eternals. What are they called? Um, forever's endless. endless. Thank you. The endless. If you're endless and you're immortal and you're timeless, then yeah, you're not in a rush to do anything because you're, you're fine. Like you will get to it when you get to it. And mm-hmm. I understand that that is that pace of storytelling will communicate that to you. But I'm saying that doesn't make for a very compelling television show. Yeah. Right. And so it's not a page turner in that way. You know, you don't want to just click next when Netflix says like, would you like to keep going? You're like, good Lord. No, that took three hours. I mean, 45 <laughs> minutes. I need a break. You know, I need to stand up and jump around and feel alive. Um, so, yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where um, for me, for me the pacing improved a bit, but mm. the first five or six episodes were, were rough. Yeah. But it's, it's, it is, it is sort of like that in the comic book. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that I, I know they're two different mediums and you should, you know, on some level cater to the medium, but there is part of me that can see why they're doing it and the pacing that they're doing it. Um, I, f- I feel like if you could have, a, you know, if, if, Ms. Marvel and Sandman could find like a halfway pace between the two of them would be fantastic. Because mm-hmm. Ms. Marvel, I felt like it was like, let's jump to the next thing, jump to the next thing, jump to the next thing. Um, it's, instead of like really taking time with like backstory and just 
act, you know, even just finding things out. Whereas Sandman, it's yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, it's it's interesting because I, I like I said, I do feel like it's well acted, but maybe it's just I don't know. There's something about the presence of the main character. He just doesn't have. I mean, I, I guess I always expected him to have physically more presence, but then just like. Like I, in my mind, I was thinking that Lee Pace would have been an excellent. Well, then, then he would have been melancholy and bored at the same time. No, but I th- but he actually, I feel like he could. He could bring some menace a bit more. to it. I think he could yeah, bring some, some menace, menace, and he could it. emote it. Like he could emote bored a little bit more. And like this guy, it, and it's interesting. This guy, um, Tom Sturridge. Oh yeah, Tom Sturridge, right? He puts his own spin on it, which I think is interesting. I just, like I said, I, I feel like he should have more weight to his words and should be seem more imposing, even though he's not trying to be scary. It just feels like there should be an imposing nature to his status. And I mean, and I looked it up and like Tom is 5'10 and that's shorter than I am. And I'm not an, impo- an imposing height or figure. And then Lee Pace is 6'5. Like even if Lee Pace acted this exactly the same way. I think it would just have, I don't know. Either way. Yeah. It's a, it, overall, I do want, I, I am enjoying it. I do plan on finishing it and I'll probably continue watching it when there are more seasons. But the only thing that's taking me out of the thing so far is Patton Oswald or Peyton Oswald. No, Peyton Oswald. <laughs> I'll get it one of these times. Peyton Oswald as the Raven, Matthew, the Raven. I feel like. Oh, it was terrible so casting. Ch- He's so chatty. I actually like him in characters and shows when he's supposed to be chatty. I think he does it well, but like, it just it feels like it's just com- in complete opposition to what the flavor of this show is. It's just like, mm. Oh, for sure. Oh, I, I, it, and it goes back to like what I was talking about the Lord of the Rings when there's no real star power in the main cast. Uh, yeah. You're going to recognize some faces over the course of this couple episodes, but, but with, with Sandman, Patton Oswalt, like, you know immediately who he is. Like, the moment he starts talking, you can see him. Yeah. And then you're not thinking about Matthew the Raven. You're thinking about Patton <laughs> it's Oswalt. It's true. Right? You can totally see him behind it the It completely mic pulls you out of it. Whereas, um, I have seen Boyd Holbrook, who played the Corinthian, in other things. And he's very good in other things. And mm. he melts into this. And you forget that I watched him in Narcos. And I watched him in a... In a I think he was in Logan. Like there's a bunch of other stuff that that he's been in that he just really kind of like folds himself into, um, but because he has range, right? And I feel like when you cast someone like Patton Oswalt, it's like giving. I mean, you might as well have given the voice of Matthew the Raven to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like you just you're gonna yeah. immediately know who it is and be pulled out of it. And and that's um, that to me was one of the things that I, I did not like. They could they should have just given it to someone where like. You shouldn't be thinking about, oh, who's doing that voice? It should be, mm-hmm. you know, just just some person. Um, yeah. The one thing that I did find that was a bit of a cameo or not, maybe maybe there's a larger presence later on in the series, um, but uh, Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer Morningstar, I thought mm-hmm. was a fun reveal. And I thought she was great. Like, I, you know, I didn't sit there thinking about Brienne of Tarth or phasma like i just she i was thinking about her in her role as lucifer morningstar but even then like her delivery was weird i'm not saying bad weird i'm just saying it was weird 
and and so because of that you don't you don't think of her as anything else other than like what she's trying to communicate to you as lucifer morningstar so um there are ways to do it with people that are fairly well known and still have it work and yeah. i don't know how much of that is because oswald has got such a recognizable voice and because he was a voiced character you know it could be but i think he's always his delivery is always the same like you mm-hmm. could have taken all of the dial the, the way the dialogue was kind of you know given as matthew the raven and his character he played i think it was twi- uh, triplets in agents of shield but they were really like all over the place busy busy talky talky characters like they were always going from one plate thing to another and in conversation as well and it's just it suited it but it's like the same kind of delivery here and if i remember correctly it was the same kind of quick chatty delivery in blade three if i remember it's just so it's just but he was in dollhouse as well but i thought he was great in dollhouse because he was there was a lot of heavy stuff going on and he took his time with the dialogue and stuff like that and and I felt I felt terrible for his character. Like the, I think it was the last time you see him, or the second last time you see see him. I felt terrible, and I thought he did a great job. But then most things, he's just. If he wasn't so chatty, it would be fine. I'm going to continue watching it though. The other thing with Matthew the Raven is, everybody else has got like, and I don't want to sound like everybody that's a deity has to have some sort of an English accent, but like. <laughs> most of them not all, not all of them like um death uh dream's sister she she's american i think or is she british i don't remember what one of them ha- is has just a standard american accent that's not like a british regional right. thing um oh desire desire's got an american accent uh so it doesn't like so not everybody has to be british but there's just something about having like these key key characters all having accents and then pat oswald just kind of like going like hey buddy what's going on it's 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 mm-hmm. very like it's very casual whereas i feel like the soft-spoken longer delivery careful dialogue for morpheus for dream is very different than the dialogue that they've given pat oswald and yeah. you never hear the other ravens speak uh but I feel like it would have been a, a different kind of character. Uh, I I even feel like Morpheus is annoyed with Matthew at some like for at some points because in the same way that the audience is, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I want to. I'm curious how you feel about. I think it was episode four, the diner series scene where basically I can't remember his name, but he gets the oh. ruby. And basically trades it for some sort of talisman, but he essentially has everybody in the diner kill one another. And it is violent, it's disturbing, it's uncomfortable, and Mm. it feels really dated and unnecessary. Like that was the one episode that reminded me the most that this, right, this is 1980s edgy we're doing this because it's going to make moms go crazy stop <laughs> like it just it just it did not need to be there you could have right. communicated the powers of the ruby and this guy's story without all of that grotesque people turning on one another 
uh, self-destruction stuff. Like it was uncomfortable to watch. And I felt unfortunately presented in a way that was supposed to look cool. Like I mm -hmm. feel like they were trying to glorify it or that's was the, the cinematography and, and that was the, the direction of that episode. And I re that it turned me off. I, that's a stopping point for me for a while. Like I eventually came back to the series, uh, because by the end of it, I said, like, well, all right, well, everybody's dead. That means that that's hopefully that was a one-off because I don't want to see more of that. And they did, right. they deviated from it, which is what it doesn't make any sense as to why it's still there. You know, um, I, I even found some of the stuff they get into with the Corinthian to be really uncomfortable in terms of like yeah. the murdering and, and the eyeballs and stuff like that. Um, but they didn't show any of that later on. They didn't like, they don't really go into that. There might be some noises and some sound effects, but they don't really get into the, the visuals of it. Whereas the diner was just all kinds of, not just the violence, but the, bet the, the betrayal and the, and the violence combined was just mm. really, really visceral. And I was just like, I don't need to see this. This is not what I want in a show that's meant to be like escapism and, and dark fantasy. You know, right. I, the, I, I, if I wanted horror, I'd watch a horror movie, you know, um, but I don't like horror, so I don't watch them. And, and then this could also be me just not having read the source material and maybe the source material is very gory and has all that kind of stuff in it. And this is where they nod the source material. I don't know. Yeah. There is a lot of, I haven't made it through the entire comic book series, but there, there are, there's something, I don't know if they'll include it in here because of um, trademark and copyright issues, but there's, there's a, a chunk of the comic book series that takes place in Disneyland that just made me feel really uncomfortable reading the comics and it was almost like it was it was interesting but i just felt felt icky so i can it's i haven't actually seen the diner scene yet um but it sounds familiar from the comics if i remember correctly or maybe it was a combination of things from the comics but um but that's it sounds on par for some of the things that are from the comics so it's it's one of those things that I, I want to read it. There's part of me that just wants to read it because I've heard so many good things about it. And it's such like this supposed to be this, the predecessor in terms of a lot of things from this genre, but it's, um, there are some things that make me uncomfortable reading it. I'm not going to lie. So it's, uh, I'll let you know how I feel after the diner scene. <laughs> well, hopefully on a brighter note, we can talk about She-Hulk attorney at law. Mm -hmm. talk about a complete 180 in terms of subject matter and, and <laughs> no mood. Kidding. Uh, I, I'm liking it. I'm, I've watched all three episodes that have been out so far. The fourth comes out tomorrow. Uh, new episodes every Thursday on Disney plus. Mm -hmm. And I am enjoying it, but I'm not champing at the bit. Like it's not knocking my socks off. I'm not yeah. like with Mandalorian. I'm like, is it time for the new episode yet? Is it out yet? Like, I cannot yeah. wait. Whereas this, you know, I, it's okay. Like, it's, it, I'm not going to stop watching it because I'm curious to see where it goes. And I, I like their takes. I find it funny in some places. Um, but I also know that I'm not the target audience. And so I'm bringing that to the table, knowing that's like, right. any, when things, when some stuff falls flat, I kind of go, yeah, but that's not, it's not meant for me. And that's fine. Um, cause not all things have to be, 
so how are you enjoying it so far? I'm 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 liking it. It's it's funny. There's some parts in it that make me. I don't know if eye roll is the right word, but it's a. Uh, there's sometimes I feel like I'm enjoying it more than I should. <laughs> like the, um, I mean, you've you've I'm sure you noticed it. Like it's anybody who hasn't noticed the special effects on or the CGI on She-Hulk is then, then you're just you're not watch it, watching it with your eye open, your eyes mm. open because it's uh, it's it was, painful at times, very wooden. It was good the first two episodes. Yeah, and, I thought and, I thought the first one especially when she was interacting with. Uh, Oh, with Bruce Banner? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 And that and those were a lot of actually, I thought they were pretty fun scenes. And they were, uh, um, the f- when, basically when she was learning how to become a Hulk. Oh, yeah. I like the, was pretty cool. She has a training montage. Like the, the show yeah. is self-aware to the point where it, like, not only does it know it's a show, it knows it's a superhero show, but it's a superhero show trying not to be a superhero show. It's trying to be a law show. <laughs> she even tells exactly. you that. And so like, yeah. I, and I get that you know they don't want to do there's a line i think it i think it's from the third third episode where where she says um i guess spoilers ahead um where she says like don't worry this is not going to be a cameo every week like this is yeah. supposed to be about me except for the whole bruce part and blonsky and and she basically starts name dropping and wong and like she just starts dropping yeah. she's had three episodes and three different guests that have been like marvel name drops you know and she's like well damn it <laughs> like i thought yeah. i thought i could prove my point here but she like lawyers herself and she's like no never mind um so i like i get that but yeah the i saw a stark difference in the cg between episodes uh two and three because oh my goodness three was horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like wa- walking through the law firm where she's just kind of like <laughs> she wobbles. It's like no el- no bend in her elbow kind of thing. It's it's almost like they took a CGI model for like you know a male a man or male presenting character and just stuck her head on it. It just it, it was just oh, I couldn't believe it. It didn't even have like her shape or her figure from the first episode of scene. It it, lo- it literally looked like a different CGI model when she was walking through the office. Yeah, and she doesn't have like um weight shift like she she's from her pelvis to her shoulders she just stays square the whole time it's 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 very very strange uh it's very wooden and it's unfortunate because uh the rest of it i thought was really good and i feel like they do a really good job with her facial expressions in the first two episodes and it also like you know gets to the point where uh it it does to me look like tatiana maslani right like it yeah it, when she's she hulk it's in the same way that hulk looks like ban- looks like mark ruffalo um, she, um jennifer walters when she turns into the hulk it still looks like jennifer walters like it still looks like tatiana Mas- maslani and yeah. because she's so expressive as an actor they do a good job capturing that but it's there's something to do with like her mannerisms or the way that her head moves or something that does throw me off. Like it's a li- it's just a little bit wonky in some ways. I try not to zero in on it because it's not really the whole focus of the show. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, and and I know there's supposed to be like a shortage in. Um, I've read in a few different articles that there's a shortage of, um visual effects artists these days some some articles are sort of blaming it on post-covid where um 
the artist just didn't want to come back to the role or that the the hours and the demands are ridiculous so that post covid they're just they're not flocking back um in the same way that companies expected them to so there's almost it's almost like some shows are just expected to be some par subpar in terms of the visual effects but i just i, I just assumed that with disney's deep pockets i was about to just... say there's no excuse disney's got more money than god like just yeah yeah you know like if you're disney and you're a disney exec and you're looking at the show and it looks like crap fix it <laughs> like you have yeah. you have the means by all means the only thing that i could imagine would be a problem would be like you know pre-existing timelines like you have to get she-hulk out before whatever the next show or whatever the next film is coming in the marvel universe like you have that window but like if you could still fit she-hulk in and get it out later then you know it might be good i mean i'm telling you right now the fact that the rings of power is coming out at the same time as she-hulk she-hulk is on the bottom of my list you know like and i'm not it's yeah. not a bad show but rings of power is a much better show so i forgot to watch episode you know three right away mm. because because rings of power had come out and I, I was like rings of power right and i watched them and i was like oh crap i missed she hulk this week because i just i wasn't thinking about it right yeah we're so, not yeah. honed in on watching it yeah no get that um she's fantastic though uh maslani is great um whether she's i like her in everything yeah wh whether she's she hulk or whether she's walters you know in the show um she's charismatic she's funny she's um sharp as a tack like i mean she's a lawyer so she's you know quick-witted and and all that kind of stuff and but she's also quirky like she's got a great personality she's very real mm -hmm. you know she's yes. she's a lawyer trying to make her way she's trying to you know make that big case and get famous and like kind of kick off her career pay off her student loans uh she has real problems it's sort of like not necessarily spider-man because spider-man's always at the bottom of the barrel but like peter parker has real life struggles and that's why people identify with him and i feel like Jennifer Walters has real life struggles and Maslany really communicates those. Like you just, you get it. Mm. It feels like she's pulling from her own struggles in her own life and just like putting it all, you know, right there on, on the screen. Despite the fact that it is a comedy and it is a short show, I feel like she communicates yeah. everything in the time that she has. Yeah. And on that note, a surprisingly short show, I felt like episode two was just like, I blinked and it was the end credits. So I, I couldn't, <laughs> I think it might've been 20 minutes of actual content it was really short yeah yeah i've noticed that they're over before i want them to be and mm -hmm. in that way i find that they're over procedurally you know like we've yeah. got the setup we've got the thing that's happening and then insert excuse for her to turn into she hulk and then credits <laughs> like yeah. that's it and he was like ah, that wasn't really enough and if you're dealing with something complicated like in episode three, the uh, parole hearing for Emil Blonsky, uh, I, do, I don't think that the half an hour format really does that justice, you know? No, me either. Uh, and because it, it feels comedic, but not in a good way. And really, that's the other thing that I find um, missing. I find Walters funny. I don't find the secondary characters funny. Like um mm. smarmy lawyer dude bro i don't even remember his name but oh. you know who i mean right like but he's yeah, a, he's, he's dennis he's, i think he's a cartoon character like he's not yeah he's it's something that belongs in a pixar film and even that would be a stretch yeah uh, it's basically they said we want misogyny as a character yeah with zero depth and nothing else interesting going on just so we can use him as an example and 
there you go. Here's Dennis. And it's like, oh, I totally agree with you. But it Just makes... Chuck that guy at... Yeah, but it it cuts their point out under from underneath them. Like, if you want misogyny to be a terrible thing in the show, then have the person, like, spewing that be a real threat to Walter's career. Like, yeah. be, have, have that person be a real problem. Like, a real asshole. Not yeah. a, not a comedic sidekick. You know what I mean? Because he's he's got exactly. he's got sidekick energy, not antagonist <laughs> energy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like if her, if her new boss Holden Holloway was, um, if that became sort of the underlying misogyny because he's yeah. in he's you know he's he a boss. T- yeah. I, I know it's stereotypical white dude in a power position. I know it's it's so cliche, it's brutal, but at the same time. If it wasn't obvious, and then it just sort of like becomes this um, this underlying kind of um, can't think of the right word right now, but you know, just sort of like it just sort of oozes its way into the storyline. And after a while, you're like, okay, this is this is not okay. Then it would be a little bit more interesting. But it's just like bonking you over the head with this the Dennis hammer. It's just oh yeah, no, it's it's well, it's condescending. Like it just, it's really yeah. speaking to the audience, saying like you know you're too dumb for us to write this in cleverly. So we're going to smack you over the face with it. And I find that that's the same of all of the side characters, you know, like any kind of like, I don't find, um, she's not offensive, but like Nikki Ramos, the, the, her best friend slash, um, paralegal. paralegal. She's uh, a cookie cutter. Like I've seen her, I've seen that character. I've seen Nikki Ramos in a thousand other shows. And I'm not saying that it's the actor's fault. I'm saying that the writing for the character is weak. You know, she's a, she's an echo chamber. She just says, yeah, you go girl. She's a cheerleader. That's all she does so far, you know, again, so three, far, episodes, yeah. so, point. three episodes in. Um, and what's I'm laughing in my head here when you talk about, you know, like the, the white typical white guy boss, you know, like the middle-aged white guy boss, uh, two middle-aged white dudes talking about She-Hulk in a podcast. Uh, yeah. we are aware, uh, you know, like I, like I understand, <laughs> I understand. That so take it is, for, take this for what it's worth. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Grain of salt, please. Um, because yeah. again, there's, there's lots of things in it that I understand are not aimed at, at us as a demographic and are fantastic. You know, like I really enjoyed the part where basically she's better than Bruce in a lot of things and he starts to get jealous. And then he even acknowledges like, Oh, I'm feeling jealousy. Is that what this is? Cause I like, he's been smarter than everybody his whole life. So like, he doesn't really have a need to feel jealous. Um, yeah. but she masters the physical skills really quickly. And the thing that really hammered at home, uh, which I don't think was poorly written. I've seen people online complaining about this was a, a like a, a, written on the wall when she has the scene where they're kind of like meditating and Bruce is talking about like calmness and stuff. And she just reveals, look, I can change it. Will because as a woman, I've had to control my anger my entire life. Whenever I've, you know, been, uh, gaslit or, you know, dealing with asshole men at work or on the street or on a date or whatever. And she just, she kind of lays it all out. And yeah. in a way that, you know, one of the smartest men on the planet who also happens to be the Hulk would never understand or would never experience yeah. firsthand. And, and I fully believe it. Yeah. Oh, and I agree. And I, I thought that makes sense because I have a lot of women friends and I listen when they talk. And that was, I thought it was well done. And yeah. Straw Hat Goofy is a TikTok creator that I follow that review, reviews movies and television and stuff like that. And he focuses a lot on Marvel. And he had this great TikTok video where he said, I called it. I told you that She-Hulk was going to bring out a lot of fragile male egos. Yep. 
And he's like, y'all are like tapping yourselves on the head because it's the people that are out there that are poo-pooing this show and calling it stupid. And it's just like, congratulations. We now know who the fragile men are in the audience, you know? And so I'm not saying that the show is bad in any, in, in that way. And I'm not saying it's bad for those reasons. I'm saying it hasn't grabbed me because there's some weak writing on secondary characters and it's, it's just, there's something about it that it just, it doesn't execute enough to get its hooks into you in a full episode. Yeah. In a street, in the the day and age of streaming where episodes don't have to be 22 minutes plus commercials plus opening credits and end credits. Yep. This should be like, maybe 30 minutes one episode maybe 40 minutes another one maybe 20 like it's just it feels too i agree condensed um which is a shame um because it's uh i think it's excellent and i think they could have more fun with it like it's it's funny though like speaking of the fun though the, the comedic tone to it at first i wasn't sure i just what i didn't expect it at first and so i had to do a little bit of homework to find out if this was indeed what um like this, if it's kind of <laughs> true to the source material, but it, it apparently it is pretty true. I went and uh, the first run of She-Hulk by um, Stan Lee and John Ushema, I think it's pronounced, was a little bit more on the serious side from what I understand. But then John Byron took the character in a much more humorous direction in 1989 and actually introduced the breaking of the fourth wall. So she she's and, and I, again, I wanted to know if the breaking of the fourth wall was true as to it as well because I find it I find it funny, but it just felt like oh they're doing the daredevil thing with this. But she's actually and I checked it on Marvel.com and they confirmed that she was the first major Marvel superhero to break the fourth wall. So um I actually enjoy it. I think Tatiana Miscellany does a great job of breaking the fourth wall too. It doesn't feel forced. She just kind of throws these sometimes throw these little quips at the audience. It's pretty great. I like that you look that up because there's a lot of people that will say like, well, she's talking to the camera just like Deadpool. Deadpool did it first. And you're like, no. <laughs> she yeah. did it first in the comics. And then Deadpool did it later. And then Deadpool did it in the movies. Just that the movies for Deadpool came out first. You know? Um, yeah. I, I'm glad that you mentioned like that, that half an hour timeline thing because it reminds me of a sitcom. Yeah. And so there's serious stuff in this show and there are funny things in this show but I've never taken sitcoms seriously. Like you, you, when you watch them, you know, it's a stage, you know, they're on a soundstage. There's no mystery of them being in a specific, you know, apartment building or living room or something like that. You know, it's not a house. Mm -hmm. And I, and I feel like with She-Hulk, there's enough money in the show and it's shot in a way that it feels more like an hour long drama where there's like location shoots and like there actually is like a, you know, uh, a world that they're trying to create, you know, for you. Uh, and, and because of that juxtaposition of the, the sitcom timing of the episodes, and then the serious nature of some of the stuff in the show in terms of mm-hmm. locations, it's, it feels off. Like it feels like it's fighting itself. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I like the fourth wall stuff though. Yeah. Uh, there's also some really, there were some cool moments early on when she was training with Bruce, where she was breaking the fourth wall and he would kind of look at her like who she's talking who are you talking to and she would look at him like mm-hmm. and then she'd look back yeah. at you like oh <laughs> like just yeah. nothing was said it was just this couple of glances back and forth and i thought that was really well done yeah, me too i thought there was there's one point i also felt that she didn't realize she could talk to the fourth it was almost like part of her 
She-Hulk powers, and she didn't realize she could break the fourth wall because she one of her little glances she 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 looked at the audience and spoke, and then looked straight ahead and looked back with this little like, did I just did we just have a little moment there kind of thing? It's just mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and that and that takes some subtlety from Maslany as well, right? Because that that is being captured and then put into you know an animated performance in some ways. Because sometimes it's Walters talking to the camera, but the the first time and I think most of the time early on it's She Hulk talking to the camera, uh, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I I liked all of all of that. I mean, I'm gonna keep watching. I, you know, I I feel like I'm starved for stuff to consume lately. There have not been many things streaming that i will just be jumping to to watch there's not a lot yeah. of new things outside of rings of power there's not like six or eight new shows i'm trying to watch there's really just the two um with she hulk and rings of power so it sh- they're on different nights so it should be should be pretty straightforward i just for whatever reason keep forgetting that she hulk comes out on thursdays yeah so, me too i i yeah. keep thinking it's a wednesday thing but one, one thing that is going to keep me coming back to this show is that i f- i feel like you know she as you mentioned she joked about the hey, this is not a cameo show. Don't expect something every week. And maybe she said it because it's going to be the exact opposite of that. I, f- I feel like it's going to be a show that weaves a bunch of different scenes or moments from different, um, I guess, franchises. I can't think of a better word for it right now, but that are going to weave them together because the in the third episode where you know she was there for the um, the trial for Emil and... Wong had broken him out for a fight. We were watching that, and when they showed the video of it, my uh, I was watching it with my older son. He goes, "Hey, that's the scene from Shang Chi when Shang Chi was fighting um, at the beginning. He fought in the the ring, and right before him, it was Wong versus Emil, and like it was it was that scene on the TV. So we went back and watched Shang Chi, or, or that part of Shang Chi, and sure enough, it was like the scene from the movie is what they used on the video clip to talk about him being broken out of jail." And then next week, I think it's next week, Daredevil is supposed to show up. And that's that's not a huge spoiler because he shows up in the trailer. So I, I feel like there's going to be these, possibly these cameos slash overlaps from other shows. First of all, I need to see these characters again, but then also see how they, how this show, I guess, could influence other storylines. So either way, it's got my attention from that that perspective. Yeah, the, the Emil Blonsky thing was one of those writing moments where I'm just like, this just feels really forced it's one of those it's it's modern comedy that tends to go either over my head or i just don't find it funny like he had Mm. this harem of women they were his soulmates and like yeah because he's the abomination like i keep on thinking like he's probably bullshitting like he's probably just trying to get out so he can get out right because he's been captured in, in prison and he just wants to go out and turn into abomination and be crazy um yeah but the longer they repeat the the fact that he's got these pen pals that are his soulmates like the more i thought oh no this is actually a serious thing that he's talking about and i just thought of how stupid it was like how how yeah. ridiculous it, it is and it so it didn't it's i don't know it, it smacks of trying too hard like yeah. if he had one pen pal that was a woman that he hadn't fallen in love with yeah i'd buy it you know but not this harem of nine women in greek togas like it, like, like fl- flower dresses or like, not even flower yeah greek togas that's a better way to do it with all flower in their hair it was yeah, just like who who and no one says anything about like walters barely even looks at them right yeah. like you'd you'd expect her 
to look at you, the viewer in the camera and go like, what the crap is going on there? Like, holy, you know, like just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. you, you expect that kind of comment, but no one touches it. And it's like, how is this out there just hanging? And it's this, it's this level of like weird for weird sake that just, just because it's strange doesn't mean it's funny. And I, and yeah. I feel like uh, I'm more of a witty comedy guy anyway. But yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, that that kind of stuff fell flat, and so unfortunately, like at the moment, I really liked episode one and two, and episode three really fell flat for me. So I'm even having trouble like, being excited for episode four. I mean, now that I know that Daredevil is supposed to show up, and that makes me curious. But like, I feel like they've kind of ripped the rug out under me in in episode three. Because uh, yeah. episode one and two uh, were good. I I and this is just probably my age and just just happens to be something that I'm not a fan of, but the music at the end of the show has been pretty fun. Uh, reminding me actually of Miss Marvel, the music selections yeah. in Miss Marvel was kind of fun and different mm -hmm. and cool and, and, and not classical movie score. Like it was like very eighties, nineties pop type stuff um, or meant to emulate eighties, nineties pop. Um, but then in this, they're choosing a bunch of different songs and they're usually related to the story more so related to how Walters is feeling emotionally. Uh, but then in this one, and I don't remember the name of the artist, but like I clamored, like I fell over myself to get to the remote, to turn it off because I, the song at the end of the episode was just that terrible when they're twerking in her office or something. And I'm oh, just Megan like, the Stallion? Oh yeah. my God. It's just, it's repetitive and it's garbage. Like I, you know, like I'm, Sure, she's talented and rich and famous, more so than I ever will be, but like not my cup of tea. And <laughs> I just the whole time I was like, this is just so annoying. Like I just I it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. And I might sound like an old man and telling people to get off my lawn. I don't care. I just it's to me, it's just not <laughs> good compared to the other music that they were choosing. And it was cool. Like and, and it was, you know, current artists and they were songs I might recognize, but like not anybody I can name, but I was like, okay, yeah, this song fits the mood of the 20, 30 minutes of episode that I just watched, you know, um, where this other one was just like, nope, this is a, we need young people to watch it. So let's pay a celebrity to be a guest in the show. And we're going to mm. pay a lot of money to pl play her track at the end of the episode to get, you know, like her, gaggle of fans to come watch she-hulk it felt markety and and i just was like nope not, no time for it whatsoever yeah speak speaking of which that the storyline with the the spermy lawyer dude and the ship shape-shifting um elf or something as guardian elf yeah man i could have 100 done without that it didn't it didn't move the plot forward it didn't do anything no the only thing there was something to do with walters having to testify and i there was there was one funny moment and it was because the shape shifting as guardian elf had impersonated one of the other good lawyers at the firm and was basically being a, a male pig and like doing really inappropriate work things. And then the the real dude come out of his office like, that's not me. That's not me. You know me. I would never do I'm that. Not, you know me. I would never. Yeah. I would never, and he was, and he wasn't being aggressive about it. He was really embarrassed. Like, and I was like, okay, that's cool. Like it, it was, it was a fun, cute way to kind of point out that this hotshot lawyer guy was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> like, you know what? I've Thank worked really hard. I've worked really hard to be a nice guy and you're fucking ruining it. You know? Yeah. 
But thanks for mentioning it. I actually like his character quite a bit. He hasn't been in it very much, but I think in his own way, he's been able to make that character feel a little bit more real than most any of the other ones in it. And I, and I can't put my finger on it, but I just like, even from the first time he shows up, he's like, Hey, just got this little gift basket. Just, you know, welcome to your office. Get a little stapler. There's some snacks. And here's the map to the best washroom for pooping, which I thought was a hilarious line. My, my son and I laughed out loud at that. And then the two women, <laughs> um, Jennifer and Nikki, in all seriousness, look at him and just said, thank you. Like it was like <laughs> that map to the washroom was the best gift he could have given them. And I thought that was a funny little moment in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it makes sense. Like, I mean, it's the kind of things that inter office, like knowledge that you like, you need to, you need to know, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, and for, for Jennifer, like, I mean, it's, it, that's the best bathroom for pooping. It might also be the best bathroom if she's like changed into she Hulk and like ripped her suit, you know, or like, because her, her her lawyer suit. I mean, I know she's supposed to be She-Hulk the whole time she's at work there, but like, I feel like there's going to be moments where she's dealing with like, I don't want to say wardrobe malfunction, but like essentially when yeah. she changes, there's a like Bruce can have be sp in spandex and be shirtless. It's fine because he's Bruce, but you can't have the She-Hulk run <laughs> running around with no top on. No. Uh, and so there's all those challenges. Um, before we wrap up, the other thing that I th felt was tacked on was the like Asgardian construction crew mugging in the alley that had absolutely oh, right. nothing to do with the rest of the episode. And there was a moment where they tried to jabber with a needle and talk about their boss. So like they were obviously sent by somebody to try to get a DNA yeah. sample from Jennifer Walters, right? Uh, but uh, like the, the whole get up and I understand, I know it's from the comics. I don't remember what they're called. They're called like the demolition crew or something stupid and that's exactly what they are they're a bunch of guys with asgardian weapons but they they or, or at least that's how they portrayed it in the she-hulk show but they're basically mm -hmm. like a bunch of like construction guys that destroy stuff they're villains that like kind of pop up in she-hulk from time to time when they're i guess the writers are bored um <laughs> but like there's a certain amount of stuff that's campy in comics that barely makes it in comics and absolutely does not fly for me in in superhero shows. Like maybe I take my superhero shows too seriously, but like, come on, we just we've got Captain America and Endgame and Infinity War and all these things. And I feel like when you start having like the the wrecking crew, you know, come in with like an Ars Asgardian hard hat, like what what does he do? Headbutt people with that? Like it just it's <laughs> it's really stupid. And yeah, and I think that does the show a disservice because I think that Jennifer Walters and she Hulk and what they're trying to do is cool. And yep. I think that they're achieving that on a lot of things in the main character, but then they throw in these side character, like not cameos, but like these blips, these sequences that just are stitched together there because someone thinks it's funny on the storyboard wall and it doesn't work. And it, it undercuts what they're trying to do with, with Walters, I think. I do agree that that part was uh, was weak, but then the one thing that I did really like about it is, like you said, you know, they were sent by their boss to get a DNA sample. So it was like, it felt like the first glimpse of like the bigger challenge that she's going to face throughout the course of the rest of the show. I'm hoping anyway, just not that it's just like a one to two episode kind of thing where we find it out and she just goes, oh, no big deal and defeats whoever the boss is. It, it feels like 
you know, she says she's not a superhero, but that's that's what's going to start to drive her superhero or lack of superhero star- story forward kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, she's going to have to start being a superhero. Otherwise, it's going to be a really boring show. And yeah. and I think that, they, I mean, there are three episodes in. I don't remember how many there are total planned, but like there needs to be an antagonist, something fierce, yeah. <laughs> you know, like nine. Yeah, yeah. nine episodes. Yeah, like you're almost halfway there. I think you need to to get rolling on that. Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is brought to you by you, dear listener. The Sizzle Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. You will get access to the member-only Discord server, which is shared with my personal Discord, and access to the Barista Cut bonus audio sessions when we have a chance to record those. Special thanks to Bean Counter Patrons Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you so much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 27. That is down one from our last episode. Our goal each week is to have at least one more patron than the week before. If you would like to be patron number 28, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. And I keep on threatening to change the title of the Internet Minute to the Lego <laughs> Corner, but we're just going to keep on going. And until it becomes a regular segment, then uh, we'll deal with that at the time. I am going to be talking about the motorized lighthouse from Lego Ideas. So Lego Ideas uh, is a site where people are designing Lego sets. And if they get voted high enough, then they get potentially turned into official Lego sets. And this is official Lego set 21335 uh, based on the motorized Lego lighthouse from Lego Ideas. Uh, It retails for 379 Canadian dollars. 2,065 pieces, 22 inches high, 10 inches wide, and 10 inches deep. So it's on a little 10 by 10 uh, plate, which I think, if I'm remembering correctly, fits well into anybody's modular city build. So if you've got a modular city and you've got a coastline in your modular city, this build would probably be epic on your coastline. Mm. Uh I think it's a very cool build, despite the, the fact that it is quite pricey. It is big. like two, It's two feet tall for, you know, minus a couple of inches. So that's not a small thing. Um, but the, I think it's just the Maritimer in me because there's so many lighthouses around here. And I just feel like it would be the perfect addition to somebody's like, you know, Lego city, which they would have already invested far more you know, money in than, than I can even think of. So this would probably be just like a standard edition. Uh, or I could see this on like the shelf in a cottage in Nova Scotia, you know, or, you know, yeah. anybody that lives near the ocean. Like I can see it as just part of your living room decor, you know, um, or like maybe like under the tree at Christmas or in the window of Christmas. I just, there's a bunch of things I can think of, but uh, it's a very, it's a very cool, very cool build. Yeah, definitely agree. Definitely East coast nostalgia feel to it. Just, and I think I really like what they did with the the sort of the brick texture in the house as well. Yeah, they've got some they've got some different layers. They it definitely dates itself, like the way that it's built with like the stone gables, the way that those yeah. are higher than the roof. It definitely has like a I don't know, like late eighteen hundreds or early nineteen early nineteen hundreds maybe kind of feel to it. And it's got like different like little caves on it too. Like there's a little shoreline. There's a rocky kind of outcrop. Uh, each floor has got like a cutaway. So you can see what's happening inside the roof uh, comes off. And so you can, you know, you build the inside. Then there's like, there's a fish on the wall and there's a, there's a light block inside the build as well. So like the, the stove where 
the lighthouse keeper would be heating up his tea lights up the wood stove that's in there very cool uh, there's all kinds of little features like that which i think is good there's also like a little uh, rowboat dinghy uh someone's got a sou'wester uh even though it's green <laughs> it's the wrong color um yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's all kinds of stuff like that and uh, i just it looks like a very very cool set and uh especially when you get pictures uh in the promo material where you can see a person next to it and you understand like okay this is this is big you know like when when he's putting the light in the lighthouse and it's the light itself is the size of his thumb you're like okay like that's that's much bigger than i initially thought when you look at it because mm. we all know how big a lego brick is but for whatever reason yeah. Until you see a human next to these sets completed, you can't really gauge how big they are. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm a fan. Uh, I, I, I can't say I'm going to be adding it to my collection just because of the price point. And yeah. most of what I've got going on is like sci-fi and like 80s nostalgia. So like that's that's not quite where this sits. Um, but uh, it's very cool. The, the price point is going to put it out of uh, me, me being able to get it as well. But that would be kind of a neat thing for... Like we could put that on a shelf in our living room and it would would fit. That's very cool. Good pick. And what is your pick this week? I'm going to mention uh, Mr. Amory Guichon. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone's heard of him before. Well, a lot of people have, but we haven't really talked about it before on the show. He's a chocolate sculptor, and I'm not even sure the sculptor is the right word. Is like he will make take chocolate and make just non-chocolate related things out of them like he he does things like he he made a massive great white shark and when i say massive it's it's practically life-size for a younger shark and then he, he he made another he made a set of connect four and he made a safe and like he's he takes chocolate to the next level and that's his thing he, he makes a lot of desserts and really nice and creamy things but a lot of it is based around the idea of chocolate as the main sculptural element for the things that he builds. And he's ridiculously talented. And we we usually just keep checking to see if there's something new. And it's just one of those family things that um, if one of us spots are like, oh, there's a new Amory tonight, so we've got to go. And so we, we all sit down and we watch the little Instagram video or the TikTok video of it being him sculpting it and putting it together. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty great. And just check out his Instagram page. Or check him out on, on TikTok and um, be wowed. His stuff is phenomenal. I wonder what all this kind of stuff tastes like because it's beautiful. He's super talented. But because of all like the paint and the dye and the, the different textures and hardness it has to be in order to stand up and, and hold the forms that he, he puts it in, it makes me wonder whether it's still, I mean, technically it's edible, but like, would you want to? He he actually slices other than the one the ones that are purely sculptural like the shark it's um it's got really thick chocolate walls and the way that that's built it is meant to be to kind of keep that very dr- dramatic curve to it and stand up but then he's got other ones like he's done a purse he's done like a little bamboo collection and he he always slices those at the end and eats them and so um it's funny we always joked well that one looked like it was pretty good. That must have been okay. And then every once in a while, he 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 like scoops into it. And he takes a bite, and his eyes light up, and he just nods with a smile on his face, like, "Okay, that one is really excellent." So, other than the really sculptural chocolate, he he tastes every one of his things. And he actually had a cooking show on a competition show on Netflix that was about making desserts and chocolate related things. And his big thing was, whatever you make has to look good, present well when you slice into it, 
and it has to be delicious. So while I haven't tasted any of his stuff, that's that's one of the big things that he kind of hammered home on his show. So I'm pretty sure they probably taste at least <laughs> decent to quite good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not doubting his, his skill. Uh, it's more like, I guess, the texture of stuff like that. Like if you're expecting chocolate, but it's chocolate covered in like a icing paint or whatever it is. Oh, that, yeah. I see what you, mean. you know what I mean? Like it's um for a while there, people would have birthday parties with where kids would have these crazy ornate cakes and it would be like, you know, Ninja Turtles or Transformers or something. And the whole thing would be like fondant in order to sculpt the icing and get those things to look right. And fondant tastes fucking terrible. (laughs) Like, I don't know why, (laughs) like give me, give me regular buttercream icing uh, all day long over, over like some stiff sculpture on top of a cake. It's cool looking. And just because it can be eaten doesn't mean it should be. Um, so that's, that's what I'm asking. And I'm asking out of ignorance. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I look at some of these and when I see some of the images where he has cut them in half for like Instagram and stuff like that. And it's not chocolate all the way through. It's like strawberry filling with what looks like a strawberry mousse. And then there's like a dark chocolate, like liquid chocolate on the inside. And then, so that to me is like, yeah, okay. That, that looks like a fancy dessert that you would get at a restaurant that just happens to have a chocolate clock on the outside of it. Right. Like that seems a little bit more feasible. It's when I'm looking at things like the Eagle or like some of the um, larger things that have, as you said, like the shark that would have a lot of structural stuff on the inside. And I mean, assuming he probably does this either for his own enjoyment or I'm assuming he's commissioned for all kinds of fancy parties to do like, you know, like if Harley Davidson had like a, an anniversary party, they would probably commission a chocolate Harley Davidson from this guy to be in like the centerpiece of the, of the party sort of deal. But like, does it just go to waste? After that, does it actually get eaten? You know, that's a good I, question. I'm just curious because like on one hand, it's like it's it's phenomenal. But on the other hand, like this is a lot of food. <laughs> and yeah. I wonder where it all goes, you know? I'm not sure. Some of his smaller ones, like he, um try to remember, think of an example. Like he did a, like little, e- there's a couple of eggs that he does further down. Like they're, mm-hmm. it's basically yep. meant to look like a real egg, but you slice it open and it's actually a dessert. He'll do a, a bunch of them. So like there's a, the, he'll have a, a series of the same thing that he does. So, and I could see a lot of this being like part of like class project. Like if he's teaching a class of 20 high end chefs, how to do this and they've all created like their own chocolate eggs, uh, then I'm assuming they all eat them at the end. And then there's no, it's not wasted. You know what I mean? Like I'm right. sure, I'm sure. And I imagine they're probably sharing amongst themselves and like, you know, there's that part of education and any kind of classroom environment and and so that that wouldn't be wasteful but yeah like it just there's and i've seen images on the instagram where there's lot there's lots of people like that they all look like chefs like it looks like he's surrounded by people peers or train trainees that kind of stuff yeah um, but yeah because well and especially when you see multiple images like if he's got some sort of clockwork thing where there's like obviously dozens of these I'm assuming he doesn't do them all himself. You know, like he's yeah. probably the master craftsman behind it all, supervising, showing people how to do one. But it's like, okay, for this party, we need to make 400 of these. <laughs> so you six are going to help me <laughs> sort of deal. I'd imagine yeah. that's probably how that, how that works. Probably. But. Yeah. He had two, he had two people on his show that were, so they weren't judges, but they basically, he would give everyone a new technique to try. And then they were there to go around and help everyone with the technique that he right. showed them. So yeah. he's probably got a, I think you're right. He probably has a crew of people like that. Yeah. Apprentices and stuff like that. I mean, he's mm-hmm. stupidly talented. Like some oh, of the stuff goodness. is just ridiculous. Like amazing yeah. 
not just in terms of like the artistry of it, but like it looks when the, the, the images where he has cut them down the middle, like there's a, I'm looking at a planet right now that has a blueberry filling and I'm starving now. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> it really does, really does look like it does. Um, it looks as good as the picture. And, and the, I mean, and the images on Instagram are also fantastic. Like it's great photography. Yeah. Like my gosh, very, very cool. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Stephen and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on Twitter. You can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app and find the show on YouTube. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. Listen to my other podcast all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. And a reminder that Johnny, my co-host on that show, is going to be here on the Citadel Cafe next week to talk about Rings of Power in detail. You can follow me on social media at Joel Duggan and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where normally I would say I stream Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but I've been streaming a lot more lately. I've managed to fit in a couple of other weekday streams and Friday has changed. Friday is still the same old one o'clock stream, but it is now a permanent weekly Lego stream. Uh, coming this week, nice. I'm going to be starting on Optimus Prime, the set that I oh. talked about on this show uh, several months ago now, actually. It's been sitting on my desk forever. I'm I'm weird about new things. And so finally, I finished the Luke Skywalker helmet last week. And the next project is Friday Lego with Optimus Prime. It's going to be a blast. So we'll see you there. Very nice. Stephen, where can people find you online? Most of the time you can find me at twitch.tv slash Stephen ESE. Again, Stephen with a PH. Uh, Taking a little bit of a hiatus just with uh, busyness with uh, work projects going on, but I plan to be back there mid-September. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.